Uh, we're going we're gonna to hear another message from my beautiful wife, Kirsty, again this morning. Uh, last week, she introduced us to her, her series, The Greater Good. The Greater Good. That's why you repeat The Greater Good. Uh, and, and she talked about Ruth. She's going to be talking about Esther this morning. Last week, she taught us about how all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. And so she's going to unpack some more of this theme this morning. So why don't you join with me and welcome her as she comes. Thank you. You guys may be seated. You guys as well. Weren't they fantastic this morning? So has anybody ever heard the saying, for such a time as this? Yes, I feel like I've heard that a lot in church before, probably because it's from the Bible. But, um, you know, I almost felt maybe it was just my interpretation of it or how I thought people were using it. But I think it, I felt like it was maybe a bit overused and sort of roll your eyes worthy, like, yeah, yeah, sure, my whole life's purpose could be in this thing that you think I should do. You know, I, I, but I didn't realize that it was from Esther until I read the book. You actually only need to get to chapter four to find it, but I did read the whole book. Um, but basically, I think. Some Christians often use it um, and say, say it to one another to mean like this is this special thing that you've got to do right now. And, and I guess that makes me roll my eyes because like, oh, you're special and this is your special moment. I don't know. I'm not much of a romantic either. So things like that just make me like, yeah. <laughs> but truthfully though, we all want that, don't we? We want to feel special. We want to be special. I'm a millennial, so we were all told we were special growing up, right? And that we could do anything that we wanted. So now we've grown up to be selfish and self-focused and can't understand why we can't always have what we want. Although I read apparently the baby boomers are the most selfish generation. But anyway, I'm not here to put any labels. I, I Googled it yesterday and that's what it said. The internet said. Anyway, I'm not here to put labels on which generation is the most uh, self, selfish and anyway. But I think as humans, like we all are, right? We're all very self-focused. Well, in the story of Esther, there's a pivotal moment in her life where she has a choice. And at first it looks like she's going to choose her own comfort over the greater good of her people. But in the end, she chooses to use her position. She shifts her perspective to see that maybe God has her in this great place for a reason. And she allows herself to be used for the greater good and saves the Jewish people. So we're going to take a look at what moments like this we might have in our lives where God is calling us, not because we're special, but because he has positioned us for his purpose, his greater good. So last week, as Brendan said, we began our series on the greater good and um, we looked at the book of Ruth, which is one of two books in the Bible named after women. The second book in the Bible named after woman is our story this week of Esther. It's an interesting book, mainly because it never mentions God. But I think that's actually part of its brilliance in that, you know, we touched on this last week because Ruth, the book of Ruth doesn't mention God a lot. Uh, but sometimes it seems like God isn't present. He's not doing anything. But actually he's working silently in the, in the background for the greater good. So what's the greater good? We're talking about God's greater good, his plan that he's been working out uh, through mankind throughout history, his plan to redeem us, to save us, to restore us to him in relationship to um, redeem, uh, sorry, to look after his people, to bring his plans, uh, his plans to bring king, the kingdom of heaven here to earth. So Jesus was a big part of this plan. And we learned last week that this tragedy to triumph story of Ruth was actually part of the plan to bring Jesus into the world. We saw how Ruth and Naomi went through some tough times. 
Um, but things just so happened to work out and God brought about redemption for their family. And that, then their family led to a future king in King David and further down the track, it led to, to Jesus, our Redeemer. So when we're just bogged down in the details of life, the hard times, the mundane things, it's hard to see the context of how it fits into a much bigger story. That's what the book of Ruth was a, a good example of. But we looked at trusting God in our trials. We looked at trusting Him when we can't see Him at work, but trust that He has a plan for our life and a plan for His greater good. So this week through exploring Esther's story, we're going to learn more about how we can also be part of God's plan for the greater good. There's a lot of similarities between these two stories, but there are actually a lot of differences as well. Things are kind of flipped. So Ruth is a non-Jew who comes to a Jewish country and marries a Hebrew farmer. Esther is a Jew living in a non-Jewish country and marries a pagan Gentile king. Ruth and Naomi go through some tough times. People die, they're left poor. And through that, we see God work out his plans silently. Esther is made queen. She lives in a palace. She's rich and God works out his plans silently. God can turn our bad turn around our bad sorry. God can turn around our bad times and he can use our good times. Let me give you a basic rundown of this story of Esther. But before we do, let's just pray. Lord, thank you for this message you've given me today. Open our hearts to receive from you and reveal to us our part to play in your plans for a greater good. Amen. So, Book of Esther. Starts off, King Xerxes uh, is having a six month long banquet. Sounds pretty awesome. And his wife, Queen Vashti, is having a banquet of her own with the women at the same time. He wants to show her off to all the guys, so he demands that she come to his party and she refuses. So basically, he sends her away and says he needs a new wife. <laughs> he holds basically a beauty pageant to find a new wife. So all these young women in the country come and, and he, he's going to choose a, a new wife. Well, then we're introduced to our main characters, Esther and Mordecai, who are cousins, but he's actually raised her uh, since her parents died. Esther hides the fact that she's a Jew and she enters this beauty, beauty pageant and she wins and Xerxes makes her his wife and queen. While this is happening, Mordecai just so happens... To, hear, to overhear a plot to kill the king. So he lets Esther know, she lets the king know, and Mordecai gets credit for saving the king's life. Then we meet Haman, he's the bad guy. He, um, it, the king has basically made him like a prime minister of the land, and he says that everybody should bow down before him. Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman, which makes Haman very angry. He convinces the king to make a decree that all the Jews, uh, to, to kill all the Jews because Mordecai is a Jew. And so they set a date for total annihilation of the Jewish people. Mordecai says to Esther that she can use her position as queen to reveal to the king that she is Jewish and ask him not to allow the Jews to be killed. Esther wants to help, but for her to go to Xerxes, she actually faces death. Uh, because no one's supposed to go to the king without being summoned. If she goes to him and he doesn't hold out his scepter for her, uh, like allowing her to, to come to him, then she can be killed. She will be killed. But to cut a long story short, she goes to him, he holds out the scepter, he tells her he will give her whatever she requests. Phew. She asks that he and Haman come to dinner and she'll present her request then. 
They come to dinner. She asks them again to come to dinner the next night and then she'll let them know what it is she wants. That night the king can't sleep and asks someone to read him a story. Oh, that's sweet. (laughs) (laughs) But the story they read just so happens to be the one about the time that Mordecai saved the king's life when he overheard the, the plot to kill him. So then there's this glorious moment where Haman is asked by the king, what do you think I should do to honour somebody who, who really deserves it? Haman thinks he means him. So he suggests a big parade of honour and then he's really angry when he finds out it's Mordecai that the king wanted to honour. So he makes plans to kill Mordecai. Meanwhile, they go to dinner again with Esther and she tells the king the truth about who she is and asks that he save her people and tells him that it was Haman's idea to kill all the Jews. So the king hangs Haman, and although he wasn't able to revoke his decree that will allow the Jews to be killed, he instead writes a new one, stating that the Jews have authority to defend themselves. And so the Jews are saved, and Mordecai becomes the new prime minister. The book goes into a lot more detail of a lot of that stuff, but you can hear it's pretty dramatic. I think someone should make a movie out of it. Um, But yeah, the book goes into more detail, so go and have a read of the book of Esther yourself if you want to know more about this fascinating story. You can also check out um, the Bible Project, have a little summary video that goes for about nine minutes that goes into some of that stuff a little bit more. It's good. But last week we learned about context, and we saw the story of Ruth in the context of God's greater good, his plan for David and Jesus to come from the line of Ruth and Boaz. When we saw this context, it brought new meaning to the trials and the tiny details um, of life that they went through and, and, and gave that to us, brings new meaning to us and in our trials and our tiny details of life. And so that we could then recognise moments where those just so happened uh, things when things worked out. The book of Esther is full of these just so happened moments. I don't know if you picked up any of them as I was telling you the story. But Mordecai just so happened to overhear the plot to kill the king. King Xerxes just so happened to hold his scepter out and let Esther approach. The story read to the king just so happened to be the one about Mordecai. When Haman was killed, there just so happened to be a sharpened pole ready to go as Haman had prepared it for Mordecai. There are fingerprints of God all over this story, even if he's never mentioned by name. So where this may seem like a story about Mordecai and Esther, it's really about how God used them to save the Jews, to save his people. Let's take a closer look at Esther chapter 4, verse 13 to 16, because I think here is where we get some more context on this for such a time as this thing. So here, what's happening is Mordecai has heard about the decree that states that on a certain day, all the Jews will be killed. He's so upset that he tears his clothes and he runs around the city wailing and crying. And Esther hears about this. She's in the palace, so she hears about Mordecai running around wailing with no clothes on. Well, I think he puts a burlap cloth on or something. Anyway, it's very dramatic, but <laughs> he was very upset. She hears about this. She, she makes contact with him. They, they send somebody between them to, to um, have a conversation. Um, and he, she wonders what's going on. And he, asks, he says to her, you know, you can, you can go to the king. You can beg for mercy. You can plead for our people. She replies that she can't. You know, she's not allowed to go to the king without being summoned or she risks death if he doesn't hold his scepter out for her. So chapter four, verse 13 says, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. 
Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arrive from, arise from some other place and you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather the, all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will, go, will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So what I see happening here is certainly not Mordecai telling Esther that she's special. He's telling her off for being selfish, for thinking about her own comfort. He's telling her that perhaps the wonderful life she's been given as queen was not just for her own enjoyment, but could be used for a greater purpose. But also not, that, not even that just she can use it. She's not that special. If she doesn't help, he says, surely help will rise up somewhere else. Mordecai's calling her to step out and use her position and consider it an honour at the risk of her life. That's the for such a time as this challenge that he's calling her to accept. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, <laughs> is the same challenge. When you find yourself in a such a time as this moment, when God is calling you to be part of his greater good, will you recognise it? Firstly, I want to encourage you all with this. God uses unlikely people. We see it all through the Bible. Esther and Mordecai are no exception to that. The book doesn't show us two perfect people. There are secrets, sex, disobeying commands of the Torah, which Jewish people were supposed to follow, such as eating impure foods and marrying Gentiles. They weren't perfect people. Playing your part in God's plan doesn't mean you need to have it all together. Because if we did have to have it all together, no one would ever do anything. <laughs> we wouldn't be able to do anything if we had to wait for that, for God to use us. So God doesn't wait for us to be perfect, but he puts us in the perfect position. Esther was positioned in the palace, favoured by the king, made queen, and Mordecai asked her to use her position. So what's your position? Where do you live? Where do you work? Who do you know? What skills do you have? What money do you have? Did someone out there just say, I, I, um, I have a, particular, a very particular set of skills? No, I thought I, that's what I think of when I said that. I thought somebody out there was going, I have a very particular set of skills. Um, from Taken, if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about. So what, what have you got? Do you have a particular set of skills? What have you got that maybe you're afraid of losing? but maybe could, you maybe could be putting it ahead of God's plans. What could you be looking at going, yeah, but that's good for me to keep. That's good for me to enjoy. That's a skill that I could use for my plans. Maybe God has given you those skills, those resources, put you in that position to use you for his greater good. We're not being told we're special. We're being called out to a higher purpose. A few weeks ago, as you know, Brendan and I finished up leading in youth ministry. It's really funny, I think, that, you, that we were brought up here today because I wanted to share um, a bit of that story with you. So as you heard, we've been in youth leadership for we can't even remember how many years ago it started, so we're going with 12. Um, but when we were doing that, we all sort of, the youth we had, the people around us, we all sort of grew up and we became young adults. So 
it's kind of been an on and off youth ministry thing. We were doing youth that led into young adults. Then there were some more young, um, it was mostly guys at the time. So Brendan then started doing a bit of casual hanging out, doing some things with the youth boys and some of the younger boys that were almost ready to be in youth. And then as, as we got a good group together and they were the right age, Brendan started doing youth ministry with the boys, but there weren't any girls around. There were, there were younger ones that were going to grow up or there were people that um, you know, we wanted to reach out to, but I, I had my Friday nights free <laughs> and Brendan was, uh, was doing youth ministry and I thought, when there are girls, does that mean that, like, that that's me that has to do it? <laughs> um, and eventually it, that did happen and to be honest with you, um, I didn't really want to do it. <laughs> But it was, it, <laughs> and now the, the, the youth over here are offended. Um, it's not, <laughs> you know, I, I'd done youth leadership before. Brendan was, was running it with the boys. I was the natural fit. I was in the perfect position, but I wasn't that keen. And it honestly is nothing personal to these girls. As I said, I had Friday nights free. I was doing other things in church. I wasn't sitting waiting for this opportunity, but I was perfectly positioned for it. I wasn't special. I was given an opportunity to step out for the greater good. And what a wonderful thing it was. The young people that we've seen blossom, the love that I have for them, the futures I know God has for them. What if I hadn't done it? Well, just as in Esther, just as Mordecai said, someone would have risen up from somewhere. (laughs) Um, I don't know who, I haven't got a clue who it would have been, but something would have happened. You know, we as a church wouldn't have just let them not have something awesome to come to. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> I haven't got a, sorry, I said that. I haven't got a clue who, but, but I would have missed out on journeying with some incredible young girls at a pivotal time in their life. I'm not special. I'm blessed. So how do we recognise our for such a time as this moment? Well, it's probably something that you don't want to do. <laughs> It will involve leaving behind some comfort. It'll mean you need to be brave and trust God. But you will be in the perfect position and it will be something that benefits others. Has anyone heard of um, Brene Brown? I know you guys have because I was talking the other night and you've got one of her books. Um, (laughs) she, um, She is quite famous for a TED talk she did called The Power of Vulnerability. She has a book of the same name, a few other books. Um, I haven't seen that or read the books, but I have seen, she's got a show on Netflix um, that appeared just recently. And um, in it, she was telling the story of how she sat next to someone on a plane who asked what she does. And she says, I study courage and vulnerability. And he goes, oh, so like opposite ends of the spectrum. And she's like, no, actually they're the same thing. And you can't have courage. You can't be brave unless you're vulnerable. And he was like, yeah, 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 opposite ends, cool. He didn't get it. (laughs) But it's so true, right? Like when we're faced with, for such a time as this moment, it's something that we're going to need to step up and have courage in. And therefore that involves vulnerability. You can't have courage without vulnerability. You don't don't applaud somebody for walking down the street on a footpath. But if someone walks a tightrope, they've put themselves in a place of vulnerability. They could fall down. Esther had to put herself in a vulnerable position. She faced death, but she said, if I must die, I must die. I'm willing to give this a go. That's great courage. 
the greater the vulnerability, the greater the courage you have to, to step out and do that thing that you're being called to do. You know, I, I often get nervous to step out. I'm, I'm an introvert, so my comfort zone is something I don't really like stepping out of. I feel vulnerable up here right now. I don't know what to do with my hands and you're all staring at me and I'm, is what I'm saying any good? I don't know. Like this is, this is a courageous moment for me. Um, but I also find, you know, even just talking to someone or buying someone a coffee, you know, I get, I get nervous about doing something like that. It feels, it brings this unwanted attention and I'd be more comfortable just doing my own thing. You know, a few years ago, I remember there was a new person who, who started working in the office next door in the same building where I work. Um, she was taking over a maternity leave contract and she was new to Adelaide and um, she was, the other girl I work with and I were talking to her and you know, she was similar age. She said she was new and didn't know Adelaide and I, you know, I felt God prompted me to offer some kind of friendship, you know, invite her to, to something I was doing where she could meet people. I was too nervous. I didn't do it. I was focused on myself and the whole taking me out of my comfort zone thing that I didn't want to do and I couldn't bring myself to do it. My work friend, she did. She invited her out to drinks with friends and I felt disappointed in myself. I missed out on doing something for someone. I missed out on serving a greater good. We have for such a time as this moments all the time, big and small, things that we can do for the greater good. Maybe it's buying someone a coffee after church. Depending on who you are, maybe that's a big step out of your comfort zone. Maybe it would be easier not to do it. Maybe it would be easier not to spend the money. Maybe God placed you here today and that money in your bank account for such a time as this. Maybe that seems like a small thing, but you could make someone's day. That could go on to have a greater impact that you don't even know about. You need to trust God that he's placed you there to do it for such a time as this. Now, don't all go out of here afterwards and go buy someone a coffee and be like, oh, I stepped into my special moment. It's not about being special, remember? <laughs> that one might be a real challenge for somebody, but for others, it might be something else. Maybe it's praying for someone at work. You're perfectly positioned. You're the only Christian there. You hear that they're not well or they're going through a hard time. You need to be brave and step out. Even if they don't get healed or an answer to that prayer, the fact that you wanted to do that for them, that, that has an impact on them. Maybe you have a big house and all your kids have moved out of home. Uh, the comfort of having the place to yourself, that's a very long way off for me. Um, but maybe an opportunity knocks and you could host a homestay international student. You're perfectly positioned for it, but you have to make a sacrifice and share the comfort of your home with others. Maybe you're asked to speak at a conference about your field of expertise. You're in the perfect position. It takes you out of your comfort zone. You need to trust God, be brave. It benefits someone else. Are you getting my drift? Yeah. <laughs> it could be a simple moment or it could be rising to a big challenge. Either way, God has given each of us a job, a position, resources, education or whatever. And he will open up opportunities that work towards his greater good. He didn't place us where we are so that we could lay around eating grapes all day or post pictures on social media to show people how hashtag blessed we are. <laughs> He's placed us where we are because we are in the midst of a war between good and evil. To miss a God-given assignment because we're too caught up in our own personal comfort is a tragedy. A whole nation was grateful for the greater good, sorry, for <laughs> the whole nation was grateful for how Esther responded to Mordecai's rebuke, to, to him calling her up to a higher purpose. 
their lives were spared. How might we be part of the greater good that God is working together to see lives redeemed for Jesus? Before we finish today, I want to extend an invitation to you here. If you don't know God, if you're not in a relationship with Him, if you don't know Him as your Redeemer, can I ask you all to close your eyes right now? Just so we're not distracted about what's going on around us. Maybe you need a moment just to search your heart. Just to to decide today that you want to make a decision to be part of God's plan, God's greater good. If you've never made a decision to believe in Jesus and to ask Him into your heart before, maybe you have done it before, maybe it was some time ago and you feel you've walked away from Him, that you haven't been in a relationship with Him. Then what I want to do is give you an opportunity in just a moment. What I'll do is I'll ask you to raise your hand and acknowledge that that's you so that I know there's someone here or people here that we can pray for. Then together what we'll do as a whole church, we'll, we'll stand, we'll pray together. And if you do pray that for the first time or as a recommitment, then we want to support you in that decision and someone will, will come and speak to you afterwards or you can um, let somebody know and we can help you on that journey. So if that is something you want to do today, I invite you right now just to raise your hand. Okay, you can open your eyes. I thought it was awesome what George just said before about soaking and we spent some time soaking. If that message has, has resonated with you, then I encourage you to, to go home and, and, and spend some time soaking in God's presence. If you know that you need to put yourself in a vulnerable position to step up and be courageous. If you, like maybe this has helped you recognise some moments you've had before and that was a, for such a time as this thing. Or maybe it's helping you prepare for something that might happen in the future. But some of you might really feel like you're right at that moment right now. Something's going on that you know is something God's calling you to. So if that is you, take a moment to, to be in God's presence, to allow Him to shift your perspective, to allow Him to to build that courage in you to step out. So I just want to encourage us one last time. Where we're positioned, what we do have or what we can do, it may be for a time that God has called us to. Let's not back down or shy away because we're worried about what might happen to us. Let's step up to the call and be part of God's greater good.